But if you noticed as we were singing earlier, be still. And, and the words of that song and the reminder is maybe you weren't as familiar with those words. And so sometimes that can be a good thing. It causes us to slow down, to contemplate. Um, but I, I think in some ways, as you contemplated maybe that song and just the words and, and the melody, the rhythm, and the reminder is is that all of life isn't unicorns and rainbows. And that we struggle and that we are real people with real hurts and that we reflect that. Um, we hope and we pray we reflect that in our lives, in our preaching, in our teaching, but also in song and in prayer. And so I think those are things that are revealed in the scriptures, that people in the scriptures hurt, they struggle. And so we, we acknowledge that as we pray, as we sing, those are all things that come out. And so that song, I think in some ways, just really helps prepare our hearts um, to hear what the text is going to be today. In Second Timothy chapter 4. As you make your way to Second Timothy chapter 4, you need to understand a little bit of the setting. It is a somber one. You see, it's time period somewhere 64 to 68 AD. Um, we know this because the emperor Nero, who rules in Rome, will have the apostle Paul beheaded. He'll be killed for the gospel. And so Paul is writing now in prison, and Paul knows that soon his time is going to come, and He's going to die. He's going to actually echo those words. And so this is Paul's last letter written to one who is a son in the faith, Timothy. And Paul writes to encourage him because Timothy is discouraged and Timothy appears to be afraid, afraid of the culture that surrounds him and the opposition that he's hearing to the gospel. And he's afraid that Timothy is going to shrink back because Timothy lives in a city known as Ephesus. Ephesus is the center of the occult for that day and time. There are all kinds of other temples and other gods being worshipped. There are all kinds of demons and demonic work that's happening all around them. And Timothy pastors a church in the midst of that. And so as he writes these words, we hear a father writing to a son saying these words. Would you listen with me? 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God, And of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and is appearing, and his kingdom. Preach the word in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience. And teaching. For the time will come. When men and women will not put up. With sound doctrine. But instead. To suit their own itching ears. He says they're going to gather around them. A great number of teachers. That will tell them what they want to hear. To suit their own passions. And he says. They'll turn away. From listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He says, For. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is now at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Would you pray with me? Father, speak to us through your word that we might gain a heart of wisdom and that we might love you and worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in response to who you are, may you transform us that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. We pray this for the glory of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, Lord. Amen. So Paul writes those words there again, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. And again, this is Paul's final letter, his final chapter. And so this is, you can imagine, what an emotional moment for Paul. Writing these words to his son in the faith. And he, and he warns him, telling him of the danger. That there are real temptations out there. That the temptation is going to be to, listen, you will want to preach to people what they want to hear. That's going to be the temptation. And the temptation for the people is they're going to want to hear what their own soul wants to hear. Tell me stuff that pleases my life, that that helps me feel better about myself. I think the temptation for every church as we hear this is a reminder is that we make our church what's central about is, is our programs or our music or our preaching or on and on. And yet when the spotlight is to be shined, Paul says that the spotlight is to be shined for the church upon the preaching of the word. It's those three words that echo in my heart and mind hearing Paul's words today. Simply there at the beginning of verse two, preach the word preach the word preach the word why because don't forget timothy you are under the gaze of god and the lord jesus christ himself preach the word why because you know that it's the word that does the work not you timothy preach the word because the temptation for your people and for your own soul is to tell everyone what they want to hear So in response to that, in response to a culture that is going to press upon Timothy and press upon the church to compromise and to shrink back from this truth, he says, let the church focus on preaching the word. You see, we had walked through much of this series. We've talked already about reading the word and praying the word and seeing the word last week through the Lord's Supper and baptism. We've talked about how we sing the word and We discussed briefly in in the first sermon a little bit about preaching the word, but it was brief. And as Brother Todd and I talked and prayed, we felt like, man, it is just vital for our church to hear, as we're maybe closing out this series, the necessity for all of our souls to come and hear the word of God week after week proclaimed to us. And so that's what we're going to do today. Hearing Paul say to Timothy, preach the word. And we come to that first truth, preach the word because you are under the gaze of God. Listen to again the word of God, beginning in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. He says, listen, I, I want you to know, Timothy, the temptation again is going to be for you to shrink back. The temptation is going to be that you're going to withdraw. But I want to remind you whose presence you are in. He says, I want you to know that you are in the presence of God. It's that word charge indicates, right, that there's this almost like a courtroom setting. 
That that Paul is there coming before Timothy, but he says, listen, I want you to know who's sitting there present, the judge. It's it's God himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think as, as preachers and teachers of the word of God, we must never forget that today as we preach, yes, I see you, but there is one who is invisible. Who is here. Standing, present, sitting on his throne there in the heavenly realms, who is Paul says, he's, you're, you're preaching in the presence of God. Man, that humbles me to consider that every word I say here, everything that I will bring before you, it is in the presence of God. And it ought to also humble you that you aren't here simply for a social event, that you have gathered here also in the presence of God. And this ought to be a place in where there is reverence and awe. We are not simply amongst other men and other women. No, this is the place where God himself has drawn up people unto himself to sit and hear the word of God. So let us contemplate that. I know it's easy to be distracted or distract others, but we must recognize, brothers and sisters, that the person in front of you and behind you and to your left and to your right is hearing the word of God in the very presence of God. It ought to create a great sense of humility but hunger and desire for those people also to hear God's word just as you are. It instills a sense of seriousness in our time together. So Father, or Paul, the spiritual father, speaks further to him. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And listen to what he begins to talk about what Jesus is, who he is, and what he's going to do. Notice he says that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. You see, the truth is, when you think about who Christ is, Whether you're alive or whether you're dead, Jesus is your judge. No one escapes that truth. He will judge all people. That includes you and it includes me. Whether we're living when Christ returns or we've already died, he says, I want you to know that he's the judge of the living and the dead. It's humbling to consider that. He says, listen, Timothy, brother, you're preaching and the judge is present. He is is hearing your words. So don't shrink back because He is the one who will ultimately give an account for you. It's not the people of the church. It's not the people of your Sunday school class. Listen, He says, ultimately, the one that will judge you and I is is the living God. He's the judge of the living and the dead. Don't forget, Timothy, who your judge is. You see, as I come to preach each week, three things so often resonate in my heart and mind. Number one, faithful. As I contemplate the word of God each week, I ask the question, have I been faithful to the text? In other words, have I tried to my very best in the power of the Holy Spirit to tell you what I believe the author's main point is? Am I trying to say what Paul was saying to Timothy? Is that my aim so that I don't twist it to make it to my own end or somehow preach from a little soapbox of my own? You see, that's why you will find us preaching verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter, through the Word of God. Because it it, it causes our hearts and minds to have to realize that we can't shrink back, we can't skip over things that we think might offend you or things that might make it really awkward or hard for us. And at the same time, we can't preach only the things that we like week after week. And so we intentionally spend time doing that. So faithful. Then I ask, secondly, my heart is, is, am I clear? Was I clear in in saying what God's word said? 
Often I ask my questions to my children. Did you understand? What was daddy preaching about today? That's a great feedback. Can the youngest among us hear the word of God and understand it? I realize there's depths and things in which, right? There's, there's, there's milk for those who are younger in the faith. There's, there's meat and potatoes for others. And so I realize that the work of the Spirit will be in that. But was it clear? Can people leave knowing and, and that they understand, so what? Oh, I get now how this applies to my life. It's not just merely head knowledge, but this is for transformation of my soul. So was I faithful? Was I clear? And then third, did I preach as a worshiper? You see, I think the temptation can always be to stand up here and give a lecture. Dispense good information, talk about it. But man, I want my heart and life to burn for the gospel. I want to stand here in this place as a man who is in love with the Christ about whom I'm preaching. As the, the old saying, I can hear old preachers saying to me, listen, that work ought to first do a work in your life. Let that word work in you. If it works in you, it'll work in them. But don't stand in that pulpit having no attachment to this word. And then thinking it's going to move your people? You see, we ought to preach and we ought to teach as worshipers. So faithful, clear worshiper. Because as Timothy, we're all tempted to shrink back, to draw away from this word. And so we must never forget that we preach, we teach, we live in the presence of Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. You see, I think that reminder is, uh, you've probably been there, right? You've been there at work and the boss walks through or shows up right what's everybody everybody's like whoa whoa right like i mean like that uh like march madness thing like you can watch it there's like a little boss button right and it flips up and shows some kind of spreadsheet or whatever like oh i'm working right i mean you think about that some of you have been at kentucky changers like everybody's just kind of around like chilling whatever but the camera crew rolls in and everybody's like man they're like up on ladders and flying around and right i mean looking like danny halls out there i mean just going wide open man for others of you, maybe your, your kiddos in this room and you know it's like time to be in bed and you're actually like up playing and doing stuff and then like you hear the footsteps coming down the hallway and you're like, man, getting like under those covers. You're like, right? I've got one of those. He's always like, he's snoring always, right? Like immediately. I'm like, bro, that is so fake, right? But I, I think the reminder is, is that we might be able to fool our boss or the Tucky Changers camera crew. We might even fool our mom or dad or other people in the church. But we won't fool Jesus. Notice what it says. His appearing. He's coming. He's present. He sees. He knows. He sees and knows your heart and my heart. And the temptation with that can be is just try to pull it tighter to the vest. Close it up more. But I hope and pray that his gentle mercy and his kindness compels you and I to run to him. To not hide but to come and say, God, you see me. Man, you see me today. There's nothing hidden. I've got a lot of mess, Lord. There's nothing I can hide from you. But you see me. And yet, the Romans 5 and 8, but God demonstrates His love for you and I in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for you. That's the hope of this gospel. And He says to him thirdly, He says, and His kingdom you see, Timothy's focus and our focus is to be upon Christ's kingdom. Why? Because the world is pressing in on us. The desires of the world this week have pressed in on you. You've likely spent much time contemplating the things of the world, chasing the world, the things of the world, riches and pleasures. And maybe very little time in this word and with the king. You see, that's why we gather Sunday after Sunday to remind ourselves and say to our souls, Oh, soul! You've gotten so drifted this week. Come back and hear the blessed word of God. So you're so distracted with so many things. You're seeking so much pleasure other places. Oh, soul, 
Hear the word of God. You see it. My soul needs it week after week. Does yours? We need to gather in this place hearing the word of God. Reminding ourselves it's the kingdom of Christ that is coming. And so as we gather, the central part of the service is the word of God. It's not to exalt any man who stands here to preach. But it's because we believe truths like Romans 10 and 17. Faith comes through what? Hearing and hearing through the word of God. We believe that the unbeliever in this room with us today, we welcome you, we bid you come. And we compel you based upon the truth of the word of God that you would come and know him, that you would repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might be saved. But we also have hope for those who are already children of God in this place, that as they hear this word, it further affirms and builds up their faith and compels them to keep putting off sin and keep pursuing Christ, to sing the words of those old songs, the cross before me and the world behind me. Know what, church? No turning back. No turning back. It's just this moment of hearing the word of God, beloved. This is why we, again, as a church, strive to sing the word, to pray the word, to read the word, to see the word, and yes, to preach the word. So we're to preach the word first under the gaze of God and indeed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, Paul now says to him that we preach the word knowing that the word does the work. I want to be really transparent here and I still struggle with this just being honest with you. Man, there's often times where I just try to really do the work myself. I think, man, if I could go in there today, if I could just preach just enough passion If I could just compel, if I could just be urgent, yes, we are to preach with our emotions and our desires moved by the Word of God. But I realize that ultimately it's God's Word that does the work. And and, and I'm telling you, beloved, maybe that's for a Sunday school teacher here. Maybe it's a reminder for a parent or a grandparent dealing with a wayward child. Maybe it's just a reminder. It's the Word that does the work by the power of the Holy Spirit. And beloved, the more I began to rest in that truth, Man, the more I could walk away from this place saying, God, I have done my best to be faithful, to be clear, and to preach as a worshiper. God, I've got to trust the results with you. Man. It's what Paul reminds Timothy of. Timothy. He's going to give him these five imperatives or five commands to say, listen, don't forget, you preach in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who his appearing and his kingdom, he's the judge of the living and the dead. He's coming again. And so here, Timothy, is how you ought to preach, son. This is how you ought to preach. Remember, this is a father. Right? I mean, you've got to imagine the imagery. He's passing the baton to his son in the face saying, I'm stepping off the scene. This is yours now. I won't be here. I, I talked just this week, Emily and I had an opportunity to, to get away and, and just spend some time together there, Tucky Baptist Convention, ministers and wives, and, and we were just spending time. And, and one of those brothers who has been in this, this very congregation leading worship, Bubba Stewart, just talked to him for a few moments in the hallway. His dad had died on the tractor not too long back. And then we just talked and he just said, man, there's so many times now, Blake, where I just want to grab out my phone and Hit dad's cell. And I can't do it. You, you see, there's going to be times when Timothy's going to want 
Paul, I gotta write a lot of, I gotta hear from Paul, I gotta, Paul, help me know what to do. And Paul says, son, I'm leaving. This is what I want you to remember above all else. Preach the word. Preach the word. The, the, the word preach means to proclaim or to make known the gospel, the good news. The great preacher of the 1900s, Martin Lloyd Jones said, preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. Preaching is theology. It's God's truth coming through a man who is on fire. That's why we come Sunday after Sunday to hear the word of God. Why? Because it's like the early church father Augustine said, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. You see, that's what Paul has just made his point in the previous chapter when he says that all familiar refrain in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all scripture is what, church? God breathe, breathe out by God. So you consider that for a moment, contemplate it. When you speak, there is air that's drawn from your lungs and it begins to pass over, right? Your, your dentals and your tongue. And, and so these different consonants and verbal sounds come out, right? Depending upon, obviously, the place in which you've grown, the language which is your heart language that you know when you speak. And so Paul says, I want you to know in a similar way as you contemplate this very scripture, He says, I want you to know this is breathed out by God. This is God speaking. So when you hear the word of God, you are hearing from God himself. You see, that's encouraging. Because I think you and I live so often in a place where we just like, man, if Jesus was here. Man, if I could just ask God about this. I think Paul would just say back to us, maybe gently, maybe Paul sometimes a stern brother. You want to hear from God? You live in a place in history which is so unique that so many have not, and so many even in the world in which you live now do not have the access to which you have. You want to hear God speak? Open up the Word. It is God speaking. It is the Scriptures that are God-breathed. And so he says, preach that Word, Timothy. Preach that Word. See, I think we might say, show us a person who is daily desiring to know God in the Word. And what you'll find, you'll see, is someone who's becoming more and more like Christ. It's God's Word that transforms us, beloved. That's why we, again, gather here week after week, spending time to hear the Word of God. Notice what he says to him, secondly. He says to Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Quite simply, the word of God is to be preached at all times. But I think something else is happening here. Paul is warning him that, that things are going to change. Right? The, the world is, is around you, the culture around you, Timothy. Don't be surprised, brother, that, that, that they're not going to desire to hear the word of God. And that's what he's going to go to in just a moment in verses 3 through 5. He says, you know what you ought to do in seasons when... People aren't receiving the word. The culture around you is changing. People in your family that you once walked with and thought were believers are rejecting this word and having nothing to do with it. Those in your friends who who listen, they're saying, hey man, I love you, but stop talking to me about Jesus. I don't need to hear about him anymore. People on your job site are warning you the dangers of keep talking about that. I'm going to tell somebody we live in that world. And Paul says to the young preacher, Timothy, preach the word. When people want to hear it and when they don't. You see, some of you grew up in America that it was in season, the word of God. And now you're finding yourself maybe in your latter years realizing that you're starting to live in an America where the word of God is out of season. 
And that may make you very uncomfortable, but I want to let the church know that this is actually an opportunity for us to be salt in life, for us to call those who have known Christianity as just something of the culture, the place in which they grew, but there was no real relationship with the Son of God, that we could urge them and share the truth of the Word of God. Yes, in season, praise God for that. But beloved, most believers who have walked the face of the earth have lived in out-of-season places where the Word of God was rejected and not welcome, where it may have been illegal to even possess the Word or to preach or teach or for the church to gather. And in those places, what you found was a flourishing church. Because they realized that, man, the Savior was worth it. You see, Timothy, preach the word, he says, in season and out of season. Why? Because the pressure is going to be so real on Timothy, just like it is on you and I, that we're going to begin to soften our message. You're going to shrink back on certain issues with certain people because you realize that if you say that, it's going to offend the way that they live and what they feel like is right in their own eyes. And because of that, just like we repented and confessed of earlier, we so often have shied away from this word because we'd rather people like us than know the truth about how they can get right with a holy God. God, forgive us. God, forgive us. So Paul calls Timothy to preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. And then he says these like rapid fire things, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. In some ways, Paul is echoing what he's just said in 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, Timothy, don't forget this. The Word does the work, not you and not me. Again, man, let that wash over you like a flood. That does not, again, neglect our needing to prepare to teach that Sunday school class or to work with those children or to prepare our hearts to come and bring the Word of God in our homes, our families gather for worship. But, beloved, let us not forget that it is not us who changes other people. That is the work of the Holy Spirit by the power of the Word of God to the glory of Jesus Christ alone. Trust in the power of God's Word. That's what Paul is saying to young Timothy. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. The very same things he said in 2 Timothy 3.16. He's repeating it, right? How many of you ever get tired of your parents or somebody else repeating things like over and over? Is that not get old? Like, bro, I heard you. I see. Look at all my kids. Yeah, man. Sure. Touche. 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 All right. Stop. Stop. Right? Um, yeah, man. <laughs> and I think Paul reminds us here, right, and just couple verses he he basically repeats himself so i think some things bear repeating you see some of you today moms and dads grandmas and grandpas godly men and women great sunday school teachers you had growing up as a child that neighbor down the road maybe you worked on their farm or you were a part of something and they just spoke truth to you 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 may not hear that today but i pray maybe by the power of the spirit to recall those words that you heard the truth of god's word to you that's what he says. That these, what do these words maybe even mean? What does it mean that we are to reprove, right? The CSB simply says it's to correct. It has this idea that, that Timothy is to confront the false teachers and not wimp away from them. I think the reality is that we have this assumption that preachers and people in the Bible never had any fear. They never flinched. But that's not reality. I want you to know that preachers and Bible teachers and great men and women of God, we are afraid. So often we fear that if we say this or it doesn't go well, that you're going to leave our Sunday school class. Are you going to go to that other church? 
And maybe we should be more like them or say things more like them or, or shrink back from it. And so the temptation is for you and I, just like it was for Timothy, to draw back from this word. But he says, no, Timothy, brother, just the same as it wouldn't be wise or loving for a doctor to look at your scans and be like, you know what, it's really no big deal. You're fine, go on. Not speaking and telling you the truth. Timothy, you are to correct, you are to reprove. Why? Because we heard already that Timothy's got some struggles. Listen to these struggles. Earlier in the same letter, beginning chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Timothy, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Therefore, listen to the response, because of what God has done for you. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You see, Timothy was afraid. He was drawing back. There's a real temptation for him, just the same as it will be for you and I. Right? Timothy, just like us, needs to be reminded to not shrink back in fear, but to hold fast to the gospel. It's a real fear for Timothy. It's going to be a real fear for you and I, with family, with friends, with others in the church. But he says, Timothy, you are to reprove. But secondly, he says to him that you are to rebuke. The word rebuke is a strong word. It's the word that's used often of Jesus when he rebukes demons in the gospel. Timothy is to rebuke those who are not listening to the word. They're not obeying it. They're not following it. He's not to shrink back. He is to have hard conversations. But as, as, as Paul has already warned him, listen, it's not about quarreling. It's not about seeking a fight. He says the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but patient, hoping that God would bring them to repentance. So we're not to be fighters and, and looking to lock horns, but humbly coming and saying, brother, sister, I love you. Here's where the word is. And yet your life is not matching this word. Brother, sister, help me understand how you're living as a son of God, a daughter of God, in ongoing contradiction to this word. I want to compel you. Hold fast to the scriptures. Timothy was to rebuke. And third, he says to him that he has to exhort. There is to be encouragement, depending on your translation there, to encourage to encourage those around you to keep holding fast to this truth. To encourage those around you who, who are, are maybe struggling just to remind them that God's grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That His mercy is new every morning. To encourage those. Listen, what you've done is not greater than the grace and forgiveness of God. Hallelujah. It's the forgiveness that is available in Christ. To encourage those, again, who may be timid or weak in the faith, brother, sister, Christ will hold you fast. That the God who began a good work in you, as the Word of God says, will bring it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Encouraged. And then look what he says to him. With complete patience and teaching. I think it's interesting that right after this call for courageous preaching, there is the call for compassionate preaching. Isn't that interesting? Right? Reprove, rebuke with great patience or complete patience and teaching. So again, there is absolutely to be courageous preaching and teaching in our pulpits and our Sunday school classes. At the stand around the truck bed of your buddies in that restaurant, that coffee shop, around the kitchen table in your homes. 
wherever it may be, beloved, as you open this word, yes, we are to be courageous, but let us not forget that we are also called to be compassionate. To speak the truth, as Paul says, in what, church? In love. In love. In July 2020, LifeWay Research conducted a survey of church-going Protestants, people who go to church like us. And it found that more than half of them, more than 50% of them, struggle to understand the Scriptures. I think there's an urgency for the church to realize that we need more Phillips. Philip, who was there in Acts chapter 8, who the Spirit of God urged him to go to this chariot. And in this chariot is this Ethiopian eunuch who's come back and he's traveling back to his land and he's reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And Philip just simply asks a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless somebody helps? And it says that Philip jumps up there and begins to explain the word of God and how that all scriptures from Genesis to Revelation ultimately point to the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And hearing that gospel, that man repents and believes and is baptized. And the scripture says that he goes on his way rejoicing. I wonder who in this coming week might go on the way rejoicing because simply the Spirit of God is directing you to a place where you just share some scriptures. It's reminding me of of recently an individual in this church who was ministering in a place that maybe it's not kosher, so to speak, to share the Word of God given the job and the place they are. But there was someone hurting. And so in that place... This individual just spent a little time sharing the scriptures. And I'm telling you, the word of God promises never to return what, church? Never returns void. It will always accomplish the purpose for which it's sent. I don't know how the impact it will have on that young person's life for all their days, but I know that that person in that moment was just being faithful. See, I, I, I know it. We may hear it and think, bro, I'm not a preacher, man. This ain't really to me. No, no, no. It's a reminder. For those who walk the hallways of our school system. For those of you who are in medical places and you have people who are are struggling that will sit down in your presence. For those of you who work along factory lines. For those of you who will minister in so many places and things. I want to remind you the call is to preach and to teach this word and to share this word, beloved. That's our call. That's the urgency. And so many, just like, listen, if if more than half in the church are struggling to understand the word, how much more those on the outside? Let's go in the power of the Spirit with humility, sharing this word together. So we are to preach the word, he says, under the gaze of God. We are to preach the word, knowing that the word does the work. And third and last, we are to preach the word because you and I will be tempted to tell people what they want to hear. It's just true. It's legit. The temptation will be there to tell people simply what they want to hear. And so Paul says this to Timothy. He says, I want you to know, Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not endure. He says they will not endure sound teaching. They won't put up with it. That time is coming, right? And so I think we need to remind ourselves that that's not just some distant point in the future. He says, listen, I I want you to know that this time is actually coming and I apologize, I wasn't aware the screen wasn't, but here, listen, hopefully you'll see it now. Yeah, praise God. Listen, it, it's a reminder. Um, man, I didn't put the right scripture on. Okay, all right. I'm just going to share it with you. I apologize. Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, the very place where Timothy is preaching in Ephesus, Paul is there. And he writes these words. 
Listen to what he says to them. As he, this is Paul leaving Ephesus. He thinks for the last time. Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And listen, this, this, is, this is a startling, eye-opening statement. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul says to Timothy, the danger will not simply be on the outside with the culture. It will be inside with the people in your very church. Wow. So Paul warns him, listen, brother, the time is coming, right? And and Timothy is already facing that. Paul, listen, he says, I I know that there are actually men that are already here. They're going to rise up. So this isn't just something long down the future. This is what's going to happen as the end of time approaches. No, Paul is saying to Timothy, this is something, brother, you are going to face here and now in 60-something A.D. Surely it's true here in 2000 A.D. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, verse 3, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They want people to say what they want them to say. You see, the reality is for many that means that they want to come to a place where, where people tell them, you know what, your gender is for you to decide. You, you may have been born a male or a female, but if you feel more male or femaleish, that's what you ought to go with. If you're drawn to, to, to people of the same sex and you want to pursue a relationship with them intimately, then go ahead. You see, that, that's, 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 that's the temptation in this culture. And guess what? You can hear it from pulpits here in America. For, for many of us, we hear that and say, that's right, preacher. But we have a major problem with hearing somebody say to us, you know what? You don't need to be sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. That pornography is not okay. You see, I think we all have areas in which we're like, you know what, preacher, let them have it, bro. And then other areas where we're like, Ooh, come on now. Paul is warning here the danger of false teachers. I think he's not just simply talking about false teachers. I think he's reminding them of what the people who will be like who choose to listen to them. They want to hear whatever will suit their own passions. And the truth is, that's you and that's me. Our sinful hearts will always desire to hear what's pleasing to our own hearts. That's why, beloved, we've got to come week after week and sit under this word. Letting this word, as the prophet Jeremiah says, your word is like a hammer hitting the hard places of my heart. Morning by morning as I draw near to God, just spending time alone, this word, man, that word, man, this word, we not only read it, it reads us, doesn't it? I mean, this word is, as Hebrews says, it's a a living and active, beloved. It begins, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It penetrates, dividing joint marrow, soul and spirit, judging the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Man, this word of God Man, it will begin to pierce our souls. So Paul warns Timothy, be careful, Timothy. Tim, don't shrink back, bro, is what he's saying. Tim, don't, hold fast. And he says, verse 4, and you will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Did you hear it? They're going to turn away. Turn away. Some of you, you know that. Those who were once professors have now turned away from the truth. And instead, what they've done is they've wandered off into myths. You see, I think that this adage gets thrown around a lot, and I, I just think it contradicts what Paul's saying here in so many other places, that the adage that it, it doesn't matter where you go to church as long as you go to church. I think Paul says that's not true at all. 
It absolutely matters where you go because it's going to matter where you go is what you're going to hear. And the question is, is where you go, are you hearing the word of God? Are you hearing what you want to hear? And so Paul says to him, listen, that the danger is if you go to a place where you're not hearing the word of God or you begin to push away from the word of God, you're going to go when you're going to begin to wander off into mists. Mist that God's not that really serious about our holiness. Beloved, I want you to hear today that our sin is damning all of us to hell. We're all condemned. There's no one righteous. No, not even one. There's no one who seeks after God. That's what Paul says in Romans 3. But the good news of the gospel is there's a God who loves sinners. So much so that he sends his only son who lives the life we could never live. And he goes and dies on the cross in our place, taking the judgment and the wrath. God's judgment towards sin is there on the cross. And the Son of God declares the beautiful three words, It is finished. And he's buried and they think it's over. But by the third day, by the power of God, he's raised to life again, declaring that he's truly the Son of God and that God has accepted the payment for sin. And the call now is, whoever will believe on him, you shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the hope of the gospel. But it is a call to acknowledge your sin and to bow your heart in life and to confess Jesus Christ, not simply as your Savior, but also as your Lord. Whosoever will here today, who is willing to repent and believe on Christ, I bid you come. Come to the Savior. So he finishes this section by simply saying to to Timothy, verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded. Keep your head in all situations, Timothy. Keep your head in all situations. Endure suffering. That's the very thing, again, back in chapter 1, that Timothy was going to be afraid of. He's going to be afraid of suffering for the gospel. Every one of us here, I think, are afraid of suffering for the gospel. Now, likely it's not physical, but it's most likely it's in your family and your friend group. That if you hold fast to this truth, you're going to alienate yourself from the people who may call you brother or sister or mom or dad or cousin or roommate. That, that is, that's terrifying. I don't know about you. It's terrifying. I love people. I want them to like me. I don't want my family and I to be separated. I don't want people I'm close to to be alienated from me. But beloved, I've got to love them enough to share this word with them. Why? Because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. It's the only hope for their soul. It's the only hope for our souls. Guys, we must share this word. Do the work of an evangelist. Preach, bro. Preach. Teach, Sunday school teacher. Teach. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, share the word in your homes. College students, share the word in your dorm rooms. Don't shrink back in fear. Do the work. Fulfill your ministry. Wow. Man, I have so much. I know time is is tick, tick, ticking. Man, God's word is good. Amen. I I just want to say this. Maybe I I wrote this down. I just thought it was just encouragement. I I really want to share it with you. Never forget who else stands behind Timothy. Listen to this. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15. Again, I I want this to be a major encouragement because I'm thinking through so many people in my heart and mind, people in this room, people in other churches, others. Listen to this. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, likely referring to Paul, maybe some other leaders, teachers in the church. 
And how from child, listen to that, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What's he talking about since like with, for how from childhood you've been acquainted with these, these sacred writings? What's, what's he referring to? Well, if you go back to chapter 1, he's talking about, he says, listen, listen, brother, I, don't forget the faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. You see, as, as Timothy stands there to preach, yes, there's the great apostle Paul there who's been shepherding him and discipling him. But what you won't see is that grandmother who held fast to the scriptures. A mama. Most likely it's believed that, that Timothy's dad was not a believer. And he held fast to the scriptures. I just want to encourage you today, Sunday school teacher, children and youth workers on Wednesday nights, Grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, there are many of you. I just want to encourage you. You have no idea how God plans to intend to use that person. One day they may be standing in this pulpit or another pulpit, a missionary there, a Sunday school teacher. They may be those who drive the bus and, and remind kids about the way in which we should act on this bus. God is using all of us, beloved. Is what I want to encourage your soul with today. Timothy stands to preach and then Paul is back there, but he says, I want you to know, so is your mama, so is your grandmama. You see, there's so many behind you today that stand where you are is because there was a mother, a grandmother, a grandpa, an aunt, an uncle, a dad, a brother, a cousin, a friend, an old Sunday school teacher who's gone on already to be with the Lord, who preached the word, who taught the word to you. And just like Timothy, you can say, as Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Don't forget those who've encouraged you. Maybe they're still living. Why don't you send a letter, a note, thanking them? I want to encourage those of you who are in those places to remember to hold fast the gospel. Man, beloved, I could say a lot. If I was, as the reminder is, we are to preach as if we'll never preach again. I can't say to you enough the importance and the vitality of preaching the word. I pray it is the bedrock of this church, of the proclamation of the word of the gospel. And I pray it for your own soul and your own lives that you might hold fast to this scripture. Preach the word. Teach the word. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Father, I pray now, thanking you for your word, that we don't have to come up with our own cleverly devised myths and truths. But instead, we have the blessed and only eternal gospel, the breathed out words of God. When the Bible speaks, you speak, God. So, Father, I pray now for a church who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, a church who hears God's word and we tremble underneath it, realizing that we are not hearing from a man our Sunday school teacher or our mom around the table or the grandmother, but Lord, we are hearing from you. Thank you, God, for the word of God. Strengthen us now to hold fast to your truth. Strengthen the church, God, to not shrink back in fear. And I pray, God, that as long as time continues, that this pulpit will be filled with men of God who preach the word of God in season and out of season for the glory of Christ alone. Amen.